The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. We are in a series uh, going through the Gospel of John. We're calling it overflowing, and, and it's overflowing because of this. When we Jesus steps on the scene, when he begins to talk about something that is new, something that is uh, what the other Gospel writers call this this good news that he has, which is that the kingdom of heaven is near, that the kingdom of heaven, something new dynamic is happening. It's crashing in upon you. The sign that he gives, what we looked at the very first week, is it's that of overflowing wine, lots of wine, great wine. That there is a sense that as Jesus steps into situations, as he steps into our lives and interacts with the people that we see throughout the Gospels, that there is a, a busting of expectations, there is an expansion of vision. There is something that leads into new life. And he's constantly calling people into that new dynamic. But that new dynamic is not kind of a set of rules or principles. It is to come into relationship with me. As we'll see on later, as I'm in relationship with God, that I actually call my father. That he's, as he does that, he begins to, to change things. In our, in our lives, he calls, out, calls us to that today. Well, the last couple of weeks, we were looking at this woman at the, this story of the woman at the well. And, and what Jesus does is he interacts with this woman that is from a group of people, the Samaritans, that are a waste of time. And in that culture, even for Jesus to talk to a woman would have been considered a waste of time. And so even in that interaction, he is beginning to expand the vision of his disciples and bust uh, expectations. But what he does is he is in some ways talking it right into the depths of desire. For this woman, at least part of what's going on for her is that there is a longing to belong. And yet she see, whatever she seems to be doing just seems to be going wrong. Either that or perhaps there is just bad situation after bad situation. that There has been a number of deaths that have brought her to have a number of different husbands. And so if anything, there is this longing to belong that is unfulfilled. And Jesus speaks right into that. And last week we looked about how he spoke into the sense of longing for purpose. Well, as I was looking through this uh, series, I thought, you know, we could go right over this, but perhaps what we need to do is we need to pause. We need to have a moment in which we can sort of linger over this whole question of desire to, to make explicit what Jesus is talking about implicitly. I mean, we need to just get right down into it. We need to say what everybody is thinking and saying, which really, for instance, is this, is that Thad only dreams that he could have a mustache this week. <laughs> right? Let's just get it out there. Let's just say it. It's okay, bro. You know, you're in it's a safe place. Here's the thing. Here's the hunch that I have. I know when we come around this, this, this whole thing around desire is that it can be a topic in which there's a great deal of frustration uh, confusion, even even heartache. And the way we begin to see how God could break into these very real places that we live each and every day is to do so in community. Community as we come around Scripture, community as we come around Jesus Christ and begin to ask, how do we make sense of this? So that's really kind of what we want to do tonight as we pause. We're going to open it up for questions and answers. So if you, if you have a, a, a question... You know, be thinking about that. Something that you hear us talk about tonight, question you've always had, something you hear your friends talking about. We're going to open that up and just allow there to be space before we continue on. Well, who I've asked to come and join me tonight um, is Dave Lutz, who you have seen already uh, in this series. He is, uh, has been doing ministry for a number of years, college ministry, but also is uh, 
doing, has his own practice right now, uh, counseling practice. Janie Stewart uh, has been a regular part, uh, last year especially, uh, of a speaking team here. She works with college students. Uh, she's the associate director with University Ministries. So I've asked them if they would come and they would just reflect with me on this and then, and then maybe we can even bat around some, some questions. So um, what I want to do is I'm going to ask Dave if he would start us off, but I, I, I want to pray for God's guidance on us before we get going. Lord, as we think about this, as we open up a topic like desire, as we begin to ask what you have in store for us, Lord, it is uh, here where we quickly realize that things can get messy, that things can sometimes be complicated, but I pray that in the midst of this, you would clarify our vision. Lord, we pray that, that your Holy Spirit um, would be amongst us even tonight. Lord, we thank you that, that your Holy Spirit is always with us, but will you guide our conversation Lord, what we have to say and what we share. Lord, that you will lead us into something uh, better. Pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hello. Um, the, uh, the, I love these. These, are, um, these, uh, these kind of talks for me are my favorite because they're, um, they represent a lot more about how I, how I grow um, as a Christian um, in this kind of a dialogue, proposing a question and really saying, you know, let's all bat it around and see what we can come up with. Let's take the fake scripture and just see what we've, we've got and take it from different angles. Um, so I, and we do this. I mean, the three of us will sit down and take, we took this question on and, and it's, it's not one that gets answered easy. And that, those are the ones especially that I think just the call to discipleship, the call to grow, um, is, is, um, can be such an igniting time. So this is, in some ways, I really want to encourage you um, to think of yourself just participating in this, to be um, thinking about what question would you have? I mean, what, what's your thought on that? Um, what's your thought on this topic? Desire is um, a, a, a tough one. Um, there's a lot of, um, uh, I think there's a lot of connotations to it. Um, when we were sitting around, I think the, the, the kind of the one bullet that I'll put out there is that um, I think that desire is oftentimes not met in the way that we want it, um, and that's a that's hard to understand. And I, and one component of that, um, and this would be along the lines of what I think C.S. Lewis would be would would say, is that that you desire in itself beyond what you can pr- simple sustenance beyond basic safety, that you have a desire for a, for a certain type of partnership or a certain type of vocation or a certain type of relationship that's beyond simple survival is in and of itself an indicator that there is something more than what we have. It's, it, in, in some ways, it is its own apologetic um, that there is something greater than this in this earth and this time. There's something in us that's that's been put in there that we feel, we can sense that we were created and built for something deeper, for something more fulfilling, for something that is um, that, that that clicks in us in, in that way with us where we, 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 we feel that sense of connectedness or that sense of purpose. And when that when that's missing, that sense of thirst, that sense of desire is there, in some ways what I think C.S. Lewis would be saying is there's an element of the taste of heaven in our mouths. That we can taste that, there's, that we're meant for something beyond simply what this world can give. 
Um, so I'll leave it there. Um, going from the broader question of what desire is, um, I wanted to look a little bit more kind of at where we are in 2009 when it comes to desire. Um, and one verse I wanted to just throw out there that people say to me all the time in conversation is um, from Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Familiar? Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to read the, the, I just wanted to read it in context from Psalm 37 and take a look at maybe what, um, it, it's actually really connected to this kind of overarching view of what desire is. Um, so I'm going to read the first four verses of Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I don't want to get into a deep discussion or um, kind of picking apart the psalm, but um, I do want to point out, when I was looking at it, I just kind of wanted to take a look at where it was in the psalm. The first couple verses, you notice that what the psalmist is saying is, don't worry about the, the wicked. Don't fret about what's going on with the wicked. So it's almost like this this ver- this psalm, which is used so often to talk about the individual specific desires that each of us have in our heart. Um, and I'm not saying that that isn't a reality in our relationship with God, that we, there is the struggle of we do have desires that God gives us. But in the context of the psalm, there is this whole idea of there's, it's actually kind of a macro picture of, of what's going on in the world. And what the psalmist is saying is stop looking at what the wicked are doing. Don't worry yourself with them. Worry yourself with delighting in the Lord, and then you'll see what you have. You'll see the abundance that you have. So stop looking at everybody else. Actually pay attention to God. Um, So the context is much more about if you notice what you already have, you will flourish. Quit looking at what everybody else has because they won't prosper. The message puts it really simply. Eugene Peterson says that verse, delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. He says, keep company with God and get in on the best. Keep company with God and get in on the best. And I don't know if that's the best translation in order to understand what's really being said in the Hebrew, but I think it's a great idea, this this macro idea of you're going to be involved in the best if you'll delight yourself in the Lord. The desires of your heart will be in the right place. Um. So I just wanted to, to throw that out there because I know that that is, a, that is just the context that we come from all the time when we talk about the desires of our heart. So I don't claim to have the right view of desire, but I do have three reflections on desire in our context in 2009 um, because this was written a few thousand years ago, so there might be some other elements involved when it comes to desire for us. The first one is that I think in our culture we are told to indulge every single desire the moment that we have them. And we are so bombarded with it, we don't even notice. If you think about advertising, like if you think about when you're watching commercials or if you're just looking at a magazine or a newspaper, think about what those advertisements say. They say you deserve this. You deserve whatever it is that you deserve because you are an American or a human being or a man or a woman or a libertarian. I don't know. I don't even know what that means. But whatever. There's some reason you deserve it, so whatever desire you have, indulge it. That is what our culture is telling us 
constantly. That's what we're hearing all over the place. Um, and then the second reflection is about the idea of desire is function over form. And that was a concept come, that was come up by this person that I know, Dave Lutz, kind of a smart guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. But what Dave is basically saying, and Hale will correct me if I'm misquoting his concept, is that desires granted to us have more to do with function than they do with form. In other words, what it is that our desires um, motivate us to do, what they point us toward, is more important than what they actually look like. So, for instance, um, in my own life, I'll just use my own life as an example. Um, I am single, and I definitely have the desire and have the desire to be in a married relationship. That is a desire that I have. And I know that's not necessarily a bad desire, but it's a desire that I've had um, for a long time, on and off, sometimes I like being single. But anyways, my point is, um, my point is that when I look at the function of what that desire does, it actually motivates me to pursue relationship. It motivates me to find community and to find relationships that can be fulfilling and I can get to know another, other people and maybe have relationships that I wouldn't have if I were married. So the, the, the function of the desire pushes me towards a place where God knows that I will grow and flourish, even though it might not look exactly like I think it should, my, my expectations. Um, Richard Foster, um, I have this quote on my, I have this exact quote on my computer, on a post-it note. I think it's from his book on prayer, but it says, we hold so tightly to the good that we do know that we cannot receive the greater good we do not know. We hold so tightly to the good that we do know we can't see the greater good we do not know. We hold so tightly maybe to our, our idea of this marriage that's going um, to fulfill my life that I am unable to see the greater good of all these relationships that are such a blessing to me around me in my life. And that's um, tied to the third reflection is that I think often we put expectations on God when it comes to our desire. Um, we flip the verse around. We say, if I get the desires of my heart, then I will delight myself in the Lord. We, we twist it. Um, and I'm, I'm honestly going to say that the desires that God grants are a divine mystery. I don't understand it. But all I know is that the promises God gives are God's promises. They're not the way I interpret God's promises. I think about the examples of um, Moses and Sarah. Both of them um, worked hard for God and both of them disobeyed. And Sarah received a child and Moses didn't get to see the promised land. And I don't know why. They both disobeyed, but Moses didn't get to see what he had hoped to see. So, um, Maybe that's a cop-out to say that it's a divine mystery, but in a lot of ways, I think desire and the outcome of desire can be a big question mark for us as we follow after God. Um, yeah, I think that those are my reflections. Hey, and part of what we want to do is we're not trying to exhaust things. What we want to do is just provide kind of a basis, and maybe there's something out of, out of what we bring up that you would want us to ask further on. I mean, that would be our, our hope is that we can... We can talk more about it. The, the third thing, as, to, as we talked about this, I tried to figure out how we would go about this. For Dave to sort of give kind of a, a kind of the broad concept for Dani to talk, especially about the cultural stuff that she she does and the confu- some of the confusion that pops up. I know that part of when we start talking about desires, what it what we're longing to know is what is can I get led in this? Can I trust desires? Are they part of discernment? What what is God's will? 
and do my desires interact with God's will at all? And I want to, I found this as I was looking through some stuff uh, today, I found that it's a little bit of a longer reading, but I think it sets things really well as far as the role of desires, as far as leading us into what God might have for us. What this author is talking about, and this is Gordon Smith, Listening to God in Times of Choice. It's a great, it's a great, really balanced book if you're looking for going through a time where you need to figure out, okay, what is, how do I need to discern what is next? Uh, but what he talks about in here is a sense of self knowledge um, and the the importance even within the Christian tradition on looking at self. Now this is not navel gazing, but it is really honestly looking at who we are. So he begins like this: self knowledge includes self acceptance, honestly owning owning who we are. If we do not accept who we are and more and more and more actually like who we are, we will probably not be able to meet God freely and respond to that encounter. We will always be attempting to be someone other than who we are. We will be living a lie. Thomas Merton, who is a, another phenomenal writer for you to follow up on if you like, um, Catholic writer, is particularly insightful in this respect. He suggests that only as I uncover what I really want rather than what I think I should want or should want can I uncover who I really am. What I want is significant to God, Merton insists, not because I am made as a robot. I am not merely God's servant, but I am God's friend. Actually, none of us can be all that we want. Growing in self-knowledge helps us to discover what our deepest desires are and what we really want, what is unique to us. This will help immeasurably in the discernment process, for few things block our ability to discern, like expectations and desires of others. To frustrate what we want is to frustrate God, for what we present to God as a living sacrifice is something that we must be able to look at with sober judgment. We must, without apology, seek a greater understanding of our desires." To resist this, Merton insists, is unconscious hypocrisy. We hypocritically assume that God's good and perfect will for us is something that we do not want to do. And and that the more we dislike it, the more actually it is his will that he and he wants us to do it. Has anyone ever felt like that? Okay, used to get, there used to be kind of uh, the phrase that was thrown around. If, if I really listen to what God wants me to do, he's going to send me to Africa and I hate Africa. Right? There's an interesting assumption in the midst of that. Basically, the difficulty in all discernment is personal inauthenticity. If you are not in touch with yourself, if you do not know what is going on, you cannot hear the other, even if that other is God. The role of desires is so important when we seek uh, discernment on what God might have for us in, in any kind of number of decisions, from relational decisions to uh, vocational decisions. And so it's important for us, I think there's a couple assumptions that I operate when I, when I begin to think uh, in this way in discernment. Number one is that God created us, and we need to be able to believe that our desires are a part of that creation. They're a part of what God has built into us, and therefore they are not inherently evil. Second is that when God leads, he leads not just someone else, not just in general, he leads us. And our desires are a part of that, and so they need to be examined. Going to Smith's point. And then, of course, we are broken. And so good desires, twisted, can poorly lead us astray. So how do we let our desires begin to lead us? How do we begin to find clarity? And what, it, it, what is important is that as we are seeking discernment, that what this has to be part of is an ongoing and honest conversation. We can't at the last moment just say, God, tell me what to do right now. If we have no idea what is going on in our own hearts, who we are, and what God has been saying to us. 
And so one of the things I would encourage you to do is to think about the desires. As you think about how God might be leading you, what really are the desires of your heart? Write them down. Get them out. Be honest. Don't be, don't be cagey about them. Don't go, well, God doesn't really care about that or he really wants the opposite. Put down the desires of your heart and then open them up and say, God, here's the deal. Here's, here's what is honestly uh, on my heart. Here's what I, I honestly love. And then let him fulfill them in his way and in his time. Hold, them, hold those desires up in prayer, which of course assumes that we are praying, that we have a regular prayer life. Check them with community and wise counsel, which assumes that you are in community and that you are seeking out wise counsel. To, this is not just to kind of go up to any random person and go, this is what I really desire. What do you think? Right? It's a good way to creep people out, uh, outside of mustaches. Um, <laughs> It's been awesome today to see people jerk back again and again. People's personal space has gotten bigger and bigger throughout the day. It's amazing. What? But anyways, so the idea, but find, find people who you can trust, wise counsel, who you can, who can say, this is kind of what's on my heart. What do you think? Community that can, can help you in that. And then lastly, check them against scripture. Do you know what scripture says? Do you know the story of what God has been doing? Because part of it is how are you supposed to check whether a desire is good or not if you have no idea what God's heart is? And one of the things you want to do when you're looking at Scripture is not to find specific answers to my specific question. Do I move into this apartment or not? But to figure out what is it that God affirms and what does He not affirm. And part of that is what does God say about you fundamentally? What does He think about sin fundamentally? If you can begin to hear that voice, then you can begin to hear what God is saying in the midst of your desires. One of the things that, um, that we did, and I've mentioned this, uh, it's been a while though, is that when we were in the discernment process after uh, seminary, I got this from a friend of mine, so I don't, Matt Gormley, I don't take any credit for it. But as we're trying to think, okay, how are we going to make decisions in the midst of this? Where is God leading us? We're getting kicked out of Canada. We're going somewhere, okay? I don't know where, I have no idea where that is. We're, and I, we, I was asking this question, what does desire have to do with this, with discernment? He said, well, one of the things we did is we, we, we wrote down kind of, we kind of made a puzzle. We kind of put, made all these puzzle pieces and we wrote down all, every single one of our desires. And then as we went through, we kind of said, well, how did these line up with the, whatever situation we might be looking at? So we did that. We said, here's the kind of job that we're looking for. Here, here's what I want to do. Here's the, the people I want to, I want to work with. Here's the kind, the kind of church that I want to work for. Here's where I want to live. And honestly, one of the things we wrote down is we want to be in the Northwest. We really, our desire is for this place. We feel called to this place. Well, the thing that's great about that is that as we looked at a couple of different options, and we pursued all kinds of options, not perfect options, we pursued all kinds of options, but as we looked at them, we were able to look at this and go, does this match up or not? One of the options was a phenomenal job. It would have been great. I would have loved it. It would, so it got like one or two of the, of the pieces. Everything else was horrible. And part of that had to do with our family. It would have been a miserable job for Shannon and for our family. It wasn't in the Northwest. Doesn't mean that we didn't, we weren't going to look at it. But as we looked at it, it was like, man, this does not seem right. And it didn't work out. <laughs> and we, we asked a lot of really hard questions as we went through that process. And the person that went down there is the perfect person for that position. Now, when this position came up and when I engaged in conversation with Mike Gaffney, who hired me, we didn't have to think about it and pray about it very much because we've been praying through this whole conversation. So when it came up, it was like, of course, that pretty much is everything that we had written down. So that, that would be a, my primer on, on how I would, 
engage desires because God wants to use them. He's called you. He's placed passions in your heart. He's created you in a certain way. Don't uh, don't deny that. Well, what we want to do now is we want to open it up for some questions. And uh, I got one question, and I'll do that. I'll give you a little bit more time. Amber will go around in a minute. Uh, she can give you the mic. Uh, think about, is there something that, that got brought up that you would like to hear more about? We'd be happy to, to bat it around. Well, one of the questions that came in is, it's exactly why we're doing this. It's exactly why we're, we're pausing. Uh, um, because it's what we're thinking as we begin to talk about things like Jesus being the living water. This person asked this question, and, and, I'll, and I'll read it. In the past few weeks, I've heard a lot about Jesus being a cup of living water. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Um, Dave even preached on it a couple of weeks ago with the woman at the well. Christ's words were, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will be, become in him a spring of life, welling up to eternal life. This can be frustrating because I don't know what it means. What about things like addictions? that continue to surface, even when you do everything in your power to go to Christ with them. Things even like lust. Um, why do we keep returning to the well? And the particularly frustrating thing is when you read this with other verses in the, in the Bible, similar to what Janie brought up earlier, or even this, that we can have confidence in approaching God that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we will know that we basically will have it of him. So how can there be freedom from addiction? How can freedom from addiction not seem to be within God's will? Great question. And one that we are not going to have an easy answer to. But this is this is the kind of thing that you need to ask within a small group. And I encourage you to be in a small group. Sign up tonight um, if, you, if you're ready. Um, get into a community where you can ask this kind of a thing. Because it's batting it around. It's going into scripture. That's how you begin to figure out how this actually lands. So, Dave, go for it. <laughs> it's how you sell out your friends. Yeah, no joke. I mean, I keep wanting to like hum Metallica songs when I'm watching you. I'm just like, man, that's like, that's awesome. Oh, I know. Um, the um, okay. So here's the deal. This is a tough one. Um, how many people? Just nod if you've got that kind of that question of how can this thing that I'm asking for. It's a good thing. It's not happening. How come God doesn't give that to me? Just kind of give me a nod if that's kind of where you are. Some, someone's got that. Okay, we've got about half of you on that one. Um, this is a tough one because I, when I was, it was probably 1996, I think, I went to Rwanda. And I remember walking through the streets there. And I remember thinking, Lord, there are so many people around the world praying for this to stop. And it's not. So what's the deal? And I remember this this sense of in, like in indignation, like like I'm talking to a bad manager, you know. They said they want their fries sooner, and you're not getting it to them, you know. I mean, it's like it's this kind of sense of God, you're doing the implicit message that I was praying is, Lord, you're doing a bad job of managing the world. Um, um, you know, I still have a piece of wood, a chip of wood that was cut by a machete that was used to cover the, a ground hole that was probably no bigger than this space right here, underneath which 500 bodies are cut to pieces and buried. I don't know what to do with that. Why doesn't God answer the cry of these people's heart? And it, i got to be honest with you, there's a, there's a part of me, and this is where having John and Janie 
then my life is good because I can be a little bit, like I, I found myself siding with those people. Like if, if God doesn't answer that prayer, then I want to make sure I'm not elevating myself as a white male American who's college educated to think that I deserve somehow more than the woman who was pregnant because she was raped on her way out of the country. That's hard. That is really, really tough for me. But I found myself just feeling like if she doesn't get it, then maybe I don't get it. And that's hard. That is a really, really tough one. And that's the one that keeps pointing my eyes up towards heaven and going, this can't be all there is. Can't be all there is. Someday, this desire is going to be fulfilled. God says that in 1 John 5, the one that he's, the guy's asking about, um, he's talking about this idea of fulfilling. Um, we know all things work together for good according to those called according to his purpose. This idea of, of Romans 8.28. The, the, the pastor I used to work for, Stuart Briscoe, would say, yeah, but that's not a promise that it's going to be in this lifetime. And that's really, really, really hard. Women who want nothing more than to give birth to a child. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, so here's the, so I, what I, what I wrote, respond to this was I say, you know, I put this question about addictions in the same category as I put a question about war. Why doesn't God stop a war? Because I think of an addiction sort of being an internal war. It's, an, it's a war that's going on inside you. It's a war with your, your, your body can physically be, begin, uh, begin to develop a literal dependency where certain parts of the body literally shut down because there's now a chemical or an, act, an action or a certain behavior that releases a certain amount of adrenaline that you can become addicted to. That when you take that away, the body doesn't know how to function. So it can be an internal battle between your spirit, your body, your physical body, your intelligence, all this stuff going inside. And when we say, Lord, take this away, the hard answer for me is I go, and Lord, I, we pray the same thing that you would find, make peace happen in the Middle East. And so there's a part of me that thinks, in this world we will have troubles, God says, Jesus says, but take heart for I've overcome the world. So somehow my gut tells me, and this is where disagree, um, I hold two things in tension. One, that Jesus says we're going to have, there will be troubles. You don't get out of this world, you don't get out of the condition of this world. I don't. And as long as there's free choice running in this world, really bad things are going to happen. As long as we're in this physical world, there will be bodies that can't give birth. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. So somehow this idea, I'm going to hold two things. Uh, one is that there will be troubles. And then second, that Jesus somehow says, it's okay. I get it. I'm with you. I'm crying for the city just like you are. The only verse in Scripture where, or the, the, where the, the shortest verse in the New Testament where he says, Jesus wept. He's weeping for a city. So there's this, this, this tension of somehow not yet. The thing I hold in tension is miracles. That's what I hold in tension. That somehow God says, yeah, I know. And don't stop praying. Keep praying. And I don't know why. I don't, I don't get that. But somehow God says, keep doing that and allow for miracles. So that's the two things I hold. It's a very unsatisfying answer, but it's what I've got. Yeah. <laughs> 
any, anything you would add? It's a little bit similar to what you talked about before, but anything you would add into that? Um, no, I think you'll, are you going to? Yeah, I have some things. Um, that, as I thought about it, um, I think, first of all, I mean, you can sense, and we all know what it's like sometimes to feel like you want, you, for instance, the, the context of this is, is something that feels addictive, something that feels like you can't stop. And I think we all know what that's like to feel like you do, as Romans 7 would say, I, I, Paul, I mean, Paul is about as spiritual dude as you can get. Uh, he feels like, I sense in me that I do the thing, the very thing I do not want to do. We all, we all know what that's like. And I, I think um, that where this begins to start, I think it's to begin to, I would even say like, you could say, God, take this away. Um, take, for instance, the context of this is lust. Take this away. Well, I don't think God's ever going to take away the desire. And this is what I mean. There's a deeper desire underneath something like lust or any addictive behavior that we do that is not necessarily bad, but what we're doing it is we're feeding it in a bad way. Um, there are, we can get into all kinds of horrible relationships, but it doesn't mean the desire for relationship is bad. It means we're, we're going in, we're feeding that in some sort of twisted way for whatever reason that is. The, the, the implications of the fall, the brokenness in humanity, I mean, go, go throughout everything. So whether that has to do with something that we have done, mistakes that we have made, or whether it's stuff that has been done to us, or whether it's, just, it's part of the human condition, there, there is that sense. So it's not necessarily that you take away the desire, but it's like, okay, how do I begin to, to, to move in a better direction to fulfill that desire? I think things like Psalm 51 for me are really helpful. I've really come to appreciate, and I've mentioned that, that here actually, that Psalm 51 is a fantastic verse when you begin to think of coming from a place of failure and moving into a place of hope. David begins uh, really by simply crying out for mercy, and sometimes that's what we have to do. And then he, he progresses through, and basically he's at the place where he's going, I, I, don't, I feel totally like a total failure, like a total failure. But God, begin to, to create in me something new. Clean, begin to clean me. Begin to restore in something new. David really can't take any action. At this point, he's simply saying, God, help. God, help. But then he begins to move to a place where he eventually is going to be able to encourage um, other people. And so part of it is calling out the things that are going wrong, facing straight on what is going on, and then asking some good questions. Um, I would, you know, Rob Bell, I think, does a good job on this, especially around lust, as he begins to look at what, what is going on with lust and encourage us to really ask the questions on what is the behavior that we're doing, how are we feeding it, and, and to go back and to be able to say, uh, did it work, how, what are the patterns I'm falling into? So part of it is to just look at what you're doing. That also means that you're honestly facing, there's a real issue here. God's not going to swoop in, but he will speak, he will work with you on that. I think then you also, there's taking some action. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, I think, can sound brutal when Jesus begins to talk about doing things like, you can't even, don't commit adultery, but let me tell you, also don't even look at a woman. And then he basically talks about lopping off things that are lopping off a hand. If a hand causes you to stumble, lop it off. If an eye is leading you astray, gouge it out. What he's really saying there is you've got to take some action. You've got to make it easy on yourself. And so this has to do with the sense of God, begin to do something new in me. Help me to, to, to push my desires to be fulfilled in the right way. Not get rid of the desire. Help me to fulfill the desire in a positive way. Take some action so that you're able to, to begin to um, make it easy on yourself. 
Okay, if you have a real problem with porn, you maybe one of the things you have to do is to get rid of your computer for a while. Or you have to do something where your computer is out in the open where you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna be as tempted. I had a fascinating twenty twenty um um 2020 article or came up, show came up when I was doing some work in seminary. And one of the things that was interesting, they were talking about addiction to porn. And one of the, they talked about this guy who would spend all night and just look at it. And he did, he couldn't feel anything anymore. He'd become so desensitized. They went on and basically this is not, they weren't, they weren't tying into the Bible at all. But what they were saying was Matthew chapter five, which was the only way you can begin to break some stuff is to begin to get rid, get rid of the cable, get rid of the TV. Get rid of the internet. Get rid of whatever. You've got to give yourself some space. You've got to give yourself... And then what you also have to do is you have to begin to figure out how do I focus this in a positive direction? Psalm 139 is another great psalm that I, if you want to, I can talk to you about that as far as thinking about your desires and who you are and, and how you're made. But you have to then take that energy and put it in a positive direction which starts to get to form and function. Sometimes what we're doing is we're fulfilling a desire with a function that is not healthy but the form, how, okay, how can I begin to push that form in the right direction? So that's really short, probably unsatisfactory as well, but I think there is hope in the midst of it, but it is uh, difficult. Okay? Oof. I'm curious to just hear questions. Yeah. If you have a question, raise your hand. Amber can bring a mic around. Or if you just want to stand up where you're at, that's fine too. But uh, questions that have come up for you. And I'm super good at waiting through awkward silence. He's a counselor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. And you think about how many churches that would never have gotten formed if Paul didn't have that same kind of bulldog, you know, grab onto it and keep writing letters even when they're... I mean, the whole letter of Galatians is exactly that. Janie was just telling me that she had a great answer for that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what do you think? Um, well, I think, I definitely think that just because something is difficult doesn't mean it is a good desire. Um, because there's the old adage, if there's something that you really, it's that much more rewarding if it was a hard, difficult road in order to obtain it. Um, so, and I'm a big believer. These guys are, have much softer hearts than I do. I'm a big believer that life is hard and get over it. So that's just the way that it is. They can attest to that whenever we have conversations. I'm always the one who's like, come on, fuck up. Come on, suck it up and deal. But anyways, I digress. It's true. It's My true. point is that I do think that there are, um, there are desires that are difficult, and just because they're difficult doesn't mean that you should immediately stop because life is difficult. That's just the reality that we live in. We live in a fallen, broken world, and sometimes um, even the, the best things that we want might be um, difficult to, 
to reach whatever our goals are. Um, and I think where that is, where it's important to recognize desire in the midst of that is in community. That's why we have each other to be able to say, this is what I'm trying to pursue. What do you see when you, when you look at me? Mm-hmm. To have other people mm-hmm. speak into our lives and say, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't the right, the right direction for you to be heading in, or maybe it is. Yeah, I am going to continue to be your cheerleader because I'm excited about you achieving this goal. So, um, I think that that is, that is one of the main ways that community can speak into whatever our desires are. So. Absolutely. This is where desires, desire is this funny thing. It can be positive, it can be negative. I mean, even if you look at the Greek word for desire that can get translated into lust, you, you, it, goes, it goes both ways. Um, just like uh, Dave was saying, Philippians, for instance, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart to be with Christ, for that is much better. Okay, Desire to be with Christ, not a bad, th- not a bad thing. And we desire that each of you in Hebrews, each of you would show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of the hope until the end. So there's this desire that can, that can drive us forward. And that's where exactly like J- what Jane is talking about in the community, you can have a community that comes along and goes, we affirm that's a great desire. You need to run with that. Don't give up. Keep in there. Keep going on. It's a great question. It's good. Someone else. We'll say it again if you, yeah. We got it. Hi. Okay. I'm noticing a little bit of a trend in, like, church time, and it kind of is tying right into this, and I have a question that kind of is resulting from all of it. Um, It's kind of this trend that started two weeks ago when you were talking about the well and, like, what is, like, what is the well that each of us comes back to? What is the thing that we think is going to make us not thirsty instead of God. Right. And um, then when I was in church this past week, um, there are a couple of verses that I wrote down right underneath what I wrote down for you. One was Psalm 16:4, The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. So like running after like these other desires that aren't Christ will actually you know, bring sorrow, which is a little negative and not necessarily what we've been saying tonight. But, you know, just the kind of idea of like looking yeah, for fulfillment somewhere else. And um, also Philippians 3, 8, that basically everything else is rubbish and considered a loss considered or compared to gaining Christ. And so, like, thinking about those things and thinking about what you're saying tonight, and I'm noticing this trend, but the thing that, sorry, this is so long-winded. <laughs> the question I have is, like, you know, I feel like we all are like, yes, like, I know, like, that is what I should like always come back to is God and not these other things. I know that these other things won't fill me the way that Christ says, but what, why, why can't we ever like hold to that for more than five seconds? You know, like what, what is it that like, I mean, is it habit? Is it brokenness? Is it the world that we're trying to ignore? Like what is it that consistently mm-hmm. brings us back to our desires, pushing us in, or us fueling in, in not necessarily the best direction. That's great. Good question. If we were sitting in a small table, I'd be going, I want to know what you think about that, because I think you've done some good thinking about that, and you seem smart. Um, the, um, so I would be curious to know what you think. Um, that's good. Well, I, you know what the funny thing when you're talking? I had this mental picture of those kind of verses. I always have these people like, who lives that way? Like, I'm just desiring nothing, you know, just God. It's only God. I just think of this person, like, huddled down in a field and just... We're bringing you food because you keep not doing anything. You know, that's I don't need to eat. You know, I desire nothing. And it's like I just think, in some ways, that can be taken and kind of made 
weird. Um, but but I but I think you know the, the idea that I take from Genesis is that in the beginning the word is chaos. The Hebrew word is chaos. In the beginning there's chaos, and then God creates order. That's the first thing He starts doing. You guys have heard me talk about that, right? Day, light, dark, land, sea, day, night. He starts making order. And then the fall comes and whoosh, broke, it, there's chaos again. So it goes chaos, order, chaos. And what we're waiting for in the middle of this chaos t- t- time is another time of order where desires are put back in their right order. That's what I keep, what I keep thinking is that there's everything right now gets out of order because we're living in another time of chaos. So the, 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 the why can't we stay that way is because we live in this time. The, the, where, where things that are this way go this way. That's why we watch, you know, somebody take a great career and suddenly they're doing it to the level where their children don't ever see them. Because the desires have gone like that. Because we're living in a time of chaos. And the chaos is like, it's like a gravitational force. It's like always kind of pulling. It's always kind of pulling. And so the work with community, which I think Jenny is, is getting at, the community acts sort of like a like a anti-gravitational force to kind of keep you against pull, being pulled into that, where, where really good things get pulled out of order by that chaos. Does that, make, does that make sense? So that's what I think. I think we live in a time where there's a pull constantly for that. And Scripture, community, prayer, God's help, and um, uh, and a real determination to walk essentially up a down escalator um, is what you is what we're talking about. Disagree? What do you think? I mean, the thing that I, that struck me, um, Beth, is that we do it because it works. We I mean we're, we're not dumb. We do it because we get a buzz off of whatever that is. You know, it's shopping or, or porn or, or online chats or you know there's all this stuff that they work short term. Yeah, they work yeah. short term. You get an initial you get an initial and they, they do that. I mean it, it works. I think that's the first thing to note about I mean why do why do we eat like junk food that makes us feel like crap afterwards? I mean really because there is something that is initially delicious and then it but then we crash afterwards. I mean there's it, it works. And I think there is, I think we have to recognize that, and I think that the question, though, is to say, though, can we have something better? Can we have something more? I mean, um, relationships are difficult. Really good relationships are difficult. I mean, you'll talk to people who have been married for 50 years, and they could have a fantastic, I mean, it could, it could be the, one of those things where, I mean, their, their desire to belong, to be known, is fulfilled like you wouldn't believe, but I bet they just went through the ringer. And they put in a lot of work to, to make that happen. And there's probably a lot of distractions along the way in which they could have bowed out. And so um, the question, I think, for us is to say, can we be people who can together, in the stuff that Dave just talked about, begin to push towards something better and to say, yeah, I know it comes up, it feels easy, it's, but it's not really what you want. It's not really satisfying. And I think part of that has to do with being light with ourselves. I... I've mentioned Hebrews 4.14 in here before, but this the sense of that Jesus gets us, Jesus knows that it is difficult, but the number one thing that we can't do is isolate ourselves because then we're in trouble. Because then all we have is kind of this appetite that may or may, or may not, probably isn't, is leading us into a bad place. But Jesus says, continue, just come, walk boldly into my throne room. 
the worst thing I think when we get into these kind of sometimes addictive behaviors is that we isolate ourselves and we do that because we feel shame. And the last thing, and, and what we need to do is we feel like we can't be honest with God, but we need to just keep coming in there and going, God, I blew it. But guess what? I know it. You know I'm going to blow it. So I'm going to ask for mercy for what just happened and grace to continue to move forward. The more we focus on something, the more power it has on us. And, instead of just saying, man, I got, I got my hands dirty again. Okay, I'll wash them and keep going on. Instead of just sitting there and going, oh, my hands are dirty, my hands are dirty, my hands are dirty, my hands are dirty. Well, you're never going to get your hands clean unless you just go and wash it and get going. So... I think that's sort of approaching that. Yeah, two. Thing one thing. Sweet. <laughs> so I've I've definitely asked those questions to myself too. What's your name? Um, Colby. Thanks, Colby. Um, <laughs> yeah, now I remember you, Colby. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I I asked those things, and, and something that was really helpful to me, um, well, everything usually comes from reading, even though I hate reading. Um, but reading C.S. Lewis's uh, The Screw Tape Letters uh, was fabulous for me because it kind of gave me a perspective of the other side. And I think, like, kind of every theme in that book was like, man, Satan works that way in my life, and Satan pulls you know pulls me back he knows i'm weak here uh he knows that i'm gonna keep coming back and it's great to see like the the good things in that book like um the community uh the things that that god really wants us to to use and that can help us uh kind of get us away from temptation and, and into the real desires um so i i recommend that book i it's a quick read i'm a really slow reader um also, The Great Divorce uh, talks about kind of true desire and how um, there's a great image of like the the demon that sits on the guy's shoulder and how uh, it's basically like porn or lust and it just has him completely, you know, always whispering in his ear, always attacking him. And you think, God, just kill that thing. And he kills it. And he say, you know, he saves that guy, but then that desire, that deep desire is transformed into a, a, a stallion, uh, into its real form of desire, and he rides off on riding a stallion. Um, I like both those books. They, they, they gave me great insight. To those right, but, but The Great Divorce is all about what's coming, not what we get right here, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Okay, la- last one, and then we'll, we'll finish. The pressure. <laughs> um... Well, I, I just want to, I guess, share too. Before I became, or I guess right as I became a Christian, um, I definitely kind of struggled with, um, you know, what if God's will for my life wasn't what I wanted? <laughs> and I think definitely with C.S. Lewis, um, what helped a lot was just, I read a quote where he's talked about um, God building your life as a house. And it's, you picture, you know, a cottage and you'll be happy with a cottage and God's building a palace because he comes to live there himself. And I just found that really comforting that it's not like this faraway God who's almighty and up in the clouds and kind of moving us around like chess pieces. It's like he's living here inside of us with me. Um, and so his will for my life is, you know, they'll be together, my will, his will, because it's really his life. So, um, but my, my question was just mainly, I have a, I feel like I have a lot of desires. I have like kind of so many interests and things that kind of pull at my attention and my time. And I feel like, 
when we were, you know, little, it was like a whole summer felt like forever. And now I blink and like a year goes by. And so how, just some tips, you know, on kind of how we can listen to our desires and really sort out what's, what's um, kind of, you know, the, the best desires to be pursuing and the other stuff, how to kind of push away the fluff that just kind of eats up our time. And I mean, I've been praying at a journal and, you know, things like that, I get together with friends, but just other tips. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, life's hard. You gotta answer yeah. questions. I uh, know. It's pressure. Uh, I think what helps me is um, I definitely have tons of interests in um, all sorts of things that I really would love to be involved in. And what helps me is having, uh, is keeping a very boundaried Sabbath. And the reason that helps me is because it gives me time to really process what are the things that um, I want to pursue that I feel like would be valuable and what are the things that kind of drop away. Um, by, by keeping the boundaries, things have to drop away because you don't have time to pursue all of these things. Um, and so uh, that's just one tip that I try and do is, is to be very protective of time. That's me kind of even just exploring some of those things that might be fun that I might want to try or whatever. Not even like sitting and reading the Bible in a room with a, one candle lit. You know what I mean? I mean, that, I'm not saying that it's a spiritual experience as much as it gives you the opportunity to try things and see what that falls away. And then the rest of your week will, um, the rest of your week you won't have time necessarily to kind of go all over, oh, I can do this, I can do this, this, because you can't. It's just not possible. I totally want to, if, if we even just put one thing up there, I just think I am so much an advocate that if you have not gotten into some kind of a small group, I really want to challenge you to do that. Um, that even if they're, I know you're scared, I know you're going, I don't know if I'm going to like them, whatever it is. I know that's true. I just really believe that in 10 years, I will put someone who's been in a group regularly against someone who's been traveling alone every single time for how far developed they are in their thinking, in their growth. And just even as you're watching this, I just cannot tell you the best talks I ever give are always ones that have come from conversations here. If I haven't done that, I can always tell. They're just, they're just limited. And, and so just even like that, what, just what Jamie was saying, I was like, oh, that's so true. If you're going too fast, how are you going to be able to center down and, and get focused on the three or four things that you think, you know what, right now these are my primary desires. These are, I can really say them. I wouldn't have thought of that. I would not have thought of that. I would have walked out of this room and I would have thought something else. But I want to make, maybe just make a plug and just say, if you're really serious about taking some of these topics on, you've got to be in a community that's meeting regularly and intentionally and in a way that is safe, in a way that you know that you can bring the good, the bad, and the ugly. Thus endeth my plug for small groups. Go sign up for small groups. Um, who's good and who's bad and who's ugly? I think I well, I'll give what, uh, leave us with what Janie said. I, I think the only thing I would add real briefly is just to say that we, we can't do everything, and I think there should be a lot of freedom for us to know that well, no matter what we do, God can work in and, in and through that, that we don't have to feel like we have to make a right decision. If we don't make a right decision, we are just done for for the rest of our lives. But God, even if we make a mildly bad decision, you know, or even a horrible decision, 
God says that he will be with us and he can redeem us. He can, even in the pit, he can come alongside us and begin to pull us back. And so even if we're making smart decisions that are not just horribly horrible, we're going to be okay. And so I think to be able to say, here's what I, here's, in the context of, of Sabbathville, here's what I think that I can do, that I can start, that I can start on right now. Here's two, three things. Pursue that. And if it doesn't work out, man, that's, that's okay. You don't have to. We don't have to feel like we have to. I think we get we get paralyzed when we have we when we decide that we get too many options and so we never go after anything. Go after a couple of things and then maybe God's going to shift, shift directions and you'll be okay. But uh, we'll end for tonight. Thanks, you guys. Hey, let's stand and we'll continue worship. But and uh, ask if you pray with me. Lord Jesus, I would ask that you will be able to. Spark something tonight, Lord, continue conversation afterwards, perhaps in small groups, perhaps with friends and mentors. Lord, continue to lead us, speak into our passions, our desires, how you have made us, and call us to be a part of your kingdom that is big enough for every single one of us. Every single desire that we, that we have, Lord, in, that you have ingrained in us, call us to purpose within what you want to do in and, in and through us in this world. Lord, we give you thanks that you do not leave us alone. You do not just simply cast us aside. But you say, I want to I meet you where you're at and begin to draw you out. Lord, give us the patience with ourselves, with those around us, and hope to begin to walk uh, with you. Lord, in all of us, I pray that you would remind us that the, the key to this is to not isolate ourselves, but to come into you, to draw close into you as you we're so close with your Father that, that you were led. You didn't drive. You were led and you walked with your Heavenly Father. May we walk with you. Lord, we pray this in your name.